Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. This is Idol Australians with James Madison and Otter Ginsberg. Exploring the bits you might have missed from Australian history and Australian culture. Oh, that theme song does leave me kind of pumped, Jimmy. I'm pretty happy we've got it. It's pretty great. Toe hider, Bruce Steele. Hey. Feeling good. I tell you. Feeling good. People are ready to go. Ready to go. People's engines. I'm vibed. Ripped. I'm vibed. Are you feeling okay? You good this week? Yeah. I'm feeling good. Yeah. I'm excited about another show. A um, lot of great responses to one episode around Sally Robbins. Cracking story. And if you've got any ideas of uh, stories you want us to get into, make sure you get in touch with us. We're, uh, we're here to dig a little deeper in the untold stories of Australian history. Idleaustralians at gmail.com. You seem to be in a very professional-looking uh, um, podcasting studio tonight. Have you moved house? Or do you, have you moved into a, a broadcast facility? Yes, yes. I now live in a broadcast facility. No, no, no. Uh, if I show it to you properly, yeah. it's a series of crates um, on top of each other uh-huh. and then uh, a laptop on top of it and then a bit of foam staple gunned to the back wall in my garage. I've been in plenty of rooms with uh, laptops and milk crates and a staple gun, bit of soundproofing. So, yeah, you are in a broadcast facility, mate. I love that it's a show. I love we're doing a show, you know. Yeah. It's different to other shows that we've done. Lots of shows have, you know, writers and researchers and producers and floor managers and audio technicians and assistant directors and executive producers and network executives and their shows. That's a show. Yeah. This has some show-like elements, but we can still call it a show. Yeah. But it has nothing apart from that in common with actual shows. It's the beauty of podcasting. Yeah. If, if we ever do an actual show, a live show, and I hope we can get some live shows going on if the Rona stays uh, stays off, what I would dearly love to have is pyro because I know that we always there was always a fun time when you and I were on a show that had pyro or at least a confetti cannon. So we're going to try and have to work onto that, I think. We can make it happen. Dream big, Osh. Dream big. Have you gotten your shot yet? You getting the shot? I'm, I'm trying. I really am. I might not get the numbers 100%. It's a 1 in 33,000 chance that I will die of COVID-19. And it's a 1 in 750,000 chance that I will have very, very serious complications if I get the AstraZeneca vaccine. To have a similar amount of risk of death of 750,000, I would need to ride my motorbike for 12 and a half kilometres. I'd do that all the time. I ride my motorbike six times that when I ride to work and back. So give me that fucking shot <laughs> so I can carry on and we can continue on our lives and just get on with it. I'm a bit sick of it, to be honest, Jimmy. 
Book it in. Book yourselves in. Book in your 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 clot. I mean your shot. <laughs> Book it in. Honestly, honestly, it's such Line up. it's such a tiny, tiny, tiny risk compared to everything it's else. A, it's a it's a very small clot. You you don't have to worry very much. Uh, honestly, I I ride a bicycle on the road, man. Like I risk death every day. It's like no problem. I'm really got no problem with it. Um, I just want to get it done. I feel like I want to let you go first. Yeah. I feel like I'm going to let you go first. Yep. I'm going to see what happens to you. Yep. Give it a give it a couple of weeks. Yep. See if you're shitting blood. Yeah. See if, uh, you know, hair falls out. Yeah. And then I'll have a go. Okay. Then I'll sign up. <laughs> but you are my guinea pig. I'll be happy to do that. Do your bit. For Jimbo. Okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. Get your shot. Not for the country. Not for the community. Not for the kids. Get your shot for Jimmy. I'll have a sticker. If I get a sticker, I got my shot for Jimmy today. Got my jab jab for Jim. Jab for Jimmy. I'll get a T-shirt made. Now, last week we were talking about um, Tracy Grimshaw. I don't know why, but it was at that moment we realised that no one really talks about Peter Alexander the man. No one ever really acknowledges that behind this sleepwear behemoth, behind this pyjama empire, is a guy who thought 25, 30 years ago, you know what? Flannels just aren't cutting it. Boxes just aren't cutting it. 90s just aren't cutting it. And um, he took a chance. He took a risk. And in doing so, changed the whole sleepwear category and became a bloody icon. Have you ever slept with him? No, but when I told people that I was going to talk to Peter Alexander, they were as excited as they had been about anyone that we've spoken to on this show. And I guess what's incredible about Peter Alexander is that people may not realise that he started the business in his garage with his mum in his early 20s. I think he was he was working at sports school or something and he went, you know, there's nothing, there's no sleepwear f- that doesn't look like you're kind of protecting yourself from imminent vampire attack. It was like <laughs> chin to ankle <laughs> flannel. It was nothing but that. He went from that to creating this absolute monster brand that is worth hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars, this enormous business. You know, there's that old adage, you know, nice guys finish last. I reckon Peter Alexander sets that on fire because he is such a delightful man and part of the reason he's been so successful is that he is just so damn lovable. Yeah. But he's an incredible Australian story. And you said we should get Peter from Peter Alexander on the show. And I thought, I think I know someone that knows him. So I snuck off a text. I said, hey, you know, you know Peter Alexander. Jim and I would love to do a show with him. You know, we're trying to, you know, do a show about Australians that maybe not a lot of Australians know about. And, you know, one thing led to another. And then, boom, Peter Alexander said, yeah, I'll come on your show. You buried the lead. Who did you text? Uh, I, I text at... <laughs> Danny Minogue grew up with Peter Alexander 
they were teenagers at the same time and they'd known each other since then. You just text Danny Minogue. I work with her. In your phone, you've got Danny Minogue's yeah, I work with her. phone number. I've worked, with, I've worked with her on radio like years ago and now we, we work, we've done two seasons of a TV show together. We're about to do a third season of a TV show. She's a, one of the most lovely human beings you'll ever encounter. Oh, I didn't realise that. I fast forward the ads and sometimes I fast forward the judging bits. So this is good. Don't pretend I never said that. This is excellent. I'm excited. Hang on a second. You're saying you watch Masked Singer. You're saying you watch Masked Singer, but you fast forward the bits where I do my job. I flick. I'm a flicker. I flick. I didn't realise she was a joke. Seen it. Seen it all before. I just can't do that thing. Yeah, he's doing it right now. That's a thing he does. But, uh, yeah, you sent off that text. You made the connection, and here he is. The man, the myth, the legend, the pyjama king himself. Peter Alexander, the man with two first names. Peter, how are you? I am really good. I love the myth and the legend. I sound like the Loch Ness Monster. Well, you are real, and I didn't know that until about a week ago. Uh, I suspected you might have been the culmination of two separate people, like Harvey Norman. A lot of people actually get surprised that I'm a real person. They actually go, are you like that, Peter Alexander? I'm like, "Um, well, yeah, my mother thinks so. But that goes to show just how iconic what you've created has become, the fact that it's so massive and so um, ubiquitous that people just assume that it is a brand that has always existed and that there isn't some character behind it. Yes, there is a couple major characters behind that brand. Peter, it's nice to see you face to face and, you know, it's not often that I actually know what someone's looked like after I sleep with them, but let's be honest, I slept with you last night, Peter, so... Oh, good. A whole third of somebody's life, they generally need something to wear. And get and guess yes, what? That's true. <laughs> guess what? You, you you are there. What I love about about your tale, and you know, we were talking about this before we we got you on, is that you've just done this one thing. Yeah, <laughs> and you've done it really, 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 really well. But we can't really remember a time before your pajamas. Mm-hmm. You know. Pajamas were terrifying things when I was a young man, Peter Alexander. Yeah. They were terrifying things as a young man because for some reason the pajama engineers forgot to put fucking buttons on the fly. And so I would go out to say hello to my you know, my grandma or my neighbour or whatever, whoever come home, and my wang would just fly out. And I'm, you know, eight and just mortified. I don't think that's uh, an, an uncommon story. Can you paint the picture of what sleepwear was like or pyjamas were like in this country when you were starting to think, hey, there's a a gap here. Okay. So um, when I started, pyjamas was a very unfashionable category in fashion. It was basically ignored. Uh, You could either get little little house on the prairie, white virginal neck to floor cotton 90s, or you could get femme fatale sort of highly sexualized yeah it's very sex sexualized um and there wasn't anything in the middle and when i was like 23 22 23 when i started this business so most of my girl girlfriends uh weren't that so i said what do you you wear to bed and they said oh we often just get men's pajamas and wear that and that was how the whole sort of thing started 
men's pajamas being the the flannel ones with the terrifying fly that I was. Yeah, well, this this was basically what what I did was I got a man styled pajama and I just copied that really basic pattern and I. Uh, put them in ladies' fabrications, which was a very strange thing to do. And uh, it was, I actually couldn't cut a pattern because I've never done sewing. I still still don't know how to sew. If you ask me what a singer is, I'd say watch Australian Idol. I have no idea about anything technical with fashion. So I had to go to this old book we used to have in the olden days called Yellow Pages and I looked up pattern makers and I, I found one and I took my men's pyjama and got her to cut a pattern and then I went to fab, old fab, fabric places like Spotlight and got fabric and then I had to find someone who could sew. I sort of had to learn very much on the job. I was very a fish out of water. I, I I never went to university. I was terrible at school. You know, I was dyslexic. I was gay. I was Jewish. School was not a happy place. So, yeah, school wasn't great. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I wasn't really good at anything. And, uh, you know, I fell into this whole pyjama game. I had one stupid idea and I just sort of followed this idea and rode the wave. And now it's like, you know, a brand name that all Australians know, you know, it's just ridiculous. I mean, I could give you facts and figures, but it's so over what it should have been. <laughs> and it's really purely because I made some good, it's not because I'm that smart or very skilled. It's because I think when you've got a dream, you've got a lot of um, avenues, you go go down a road and it's like, do I turn left? Do I turn right? And I always pick the right one. I just happened by luck to get to get. Always set myself on the right course because uh, I kept hitting walls and I kept having to make decisions and and I think I just uh, steered steered the boat really well and I also think that I'm a good good person and everyone who's worked for me has really helped me really wanted the brand to succeed and I know in business good people don't tend to succeed. So you didn't know how to make a pattern, you didn't know how to sew, you didn't know where to get fabric from. You had this little seed of an idea. When you started that out, when you started telling people, what were the naysayers saying to you early on? Oh, God. Well, there's a good story there too. I remember I, I got my, um, I had 12 samples. I had one pyjama, so it was one size fits all at this point, and it was uh, one style in in 12 different fab fabrics. And I, I had a little suitcase and I made an appointment and I, I hassled to get an appointment at Meyer and David Jones, which everyone said, don't bother, they'll never get it. In, they'll never look look at you. But anyway, I kept hassling, hass, hass, hassling. And I went to the lady at um, David Jones first and I opened up my suitcase and she, she walked in and I thought, oh, my God, she's so old. I mean, she was probably 55. I was, of course, 23. So to me, anyone over 30 was old. And uh, I opened my case and she showed, and I looked, uh, showed her all my samples and she just said, kid, pack it up go back to school. She said, you are never going to get anywhere. You don't have, you're not, you're not using right fabrication. You don't have a Peter Pan collar. There's no pale pink, no pale blue. You're using oversized flowers. You're breaking every single rule in the sleepwear business. It's a waste of my, my time. And she was quite abrupt with me. And I had an appointment with Maya the next day and I thought, should I bother 
going or is, am I done? And I thought, no, look, I'll go. So I went to the Maya meeting and anyway, this young girl came down who was in same age as me, mid-20s, and she said, look, I'm sorry, the buyers got called to another meeting, but I'm her assistant buyer and she told me to have a look at it. So I showed her the collection and she said, I love it. I've never seen anything like it. I want to own, own, own it. This is what I want to wear. And she said, but the buyer's never going to let me She's, she's not going to want this. She said, so why don't we do this deal where we take this down to the floor now, we ha- handwrite swing tickets, price them, and just see if we can sell, sell, sell them to get her over the line. I mean, in, this is before computer days, so you could do that sort of stuff. It was You wouldn't ever be able to do, do this now. So we literally went down onto the floor, sat them on the floor, wrote t- tickets out, and we sat there for three hours and we sold them all. Wow. She said, okay, this is... This is what we need. So we went back to the buyer, explained what was going on, and she said, well, how can I see, see them if I've, you've sold, sold, sold them all? So anyway, that was one mistake. I should have kept one sample. Anyway, so that was how I got into Maya. Funny story to end this up, about two, three years later, I became Maya's biggest sleepwear brand and David Jones had to call me and get me in and say, oh, we would love to stock your pyjamas. And I was like, really? And lucky I'm not a vicious queen, so I said yes, and uh, the rest is history. (laughs) Isn't that, though, you mentioned, though, you mentioned luck before, and I don't know if this gets talked about enough. I know certainly in my career there was plenty, plenty of times, guys, when I... I just happened to be the right person in front of the right person Absolutely. who needed someone who had my skill set. And they went, oh, you. Yeah. And that is the only reason I see you here today. Five seconds could have passed. I could have gone to the toilet. Someone else could have stood there and then they would have they would yeah. have been it. I totally agree with, with that. I just, she, if the buyer wouldn't have gone to another meeting and I would have met with her, the Peter Alexander brand probably wouldn't exist. So the fact that she just happened to cancel my meeting and send her assistant down changed not only my my lives but, you know, created this whole national brand. So it is very sliding doors. Life is like that. You talk about luck there and and creating your own opportunities. Um, The guy who wrote uh, Beautiful Mind, Avika Goldsman, uh, he sold his very first screenplay that he ever wrote. And he talks about how there's this perception that, you know, he was an overnight success and that um, he, he fluked it with the first one. And he always said, I mean, yeah, in many ways that's true. He tells a story that no one was ever going to come and buy a screenplay that I hadn't written, you know. <laughs> you create it, you put it out there, and, and it's only by doing that that those forces that we, whatever we call chance or luck or kismet, whatever it is, you have to put yourself in the way of luck. You do. And you've got to be up for rejection and let rejection sting, but then be able to get over it because uh, rejection's really just information come, coming in so you can adapt. Uh, so I think it's it's a really... You've got to have a thick skin if you want to get out there because you're going to get knocked down one, one, one or two times. I mean, everyone thinks pyjamas was my first 
for, foray into being an entrepreneur. Actually, umbrellas were my, <laughs> you know, I, I had a brand of umbrellas called Storm Sticks that had like stupid messages on them saying like bloody Melbourne weather and cats raining, cats and dogs. And that was my first entrepreneurial uh, gig. And, you know, you don't, you don't see that brand <laughs> around the traps anymore. So, Some of your earliest success was due to a very special employee that you had. Tell us about your relationship with Jim from Sale. He was me. Um, so we had a very close relationship. Yeah, look, fashion is an illu- illusion, a bit, I suppose, like when you do a TV show, whenever I've gone on TV shows, you think the set's so glamorous and wonderful and then you go in. Like I, I did Who's the Celebrity, uh, one of those um, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire celebrity things, and the set looks so nothing like it looked on television. I was like, Oh, how did this look so, so so good? And fashion's a little bit like that. You've got to have a little spin and polish, a little mag- magic, um, and you've got to have an illusion of success because people generally want to be attracted to success. So in the beginning um, of my brand, I pretended that I was a lot shall I say, a better established and a bigger company than I actually was. Um, I used to work from my mother's dining room table for the first, like I think it was six, perhaps five years of the business. My garage was the stock stock room. My mum's phone was the, you know, my my call centre. When people called to place orders for pyjamas, they wouldn't want the phone to be answered by Peter Alexander himself. So, I would get, uh, my mum would be Janelle, the receptionist, and then they would say, you know, I want to trace my order. Could you put put me through to the stockroom? So mum would just hold the phone, you know, her hand on the phone and then pass it to me and then I would say, oh, good day, it's Jim from the stockroom here. And then I would, they would say, oh, no, we want to talk to accounts. So I would say, hold on one sec, I'll just pass, pass you to Barry. So then I would, like, go, wait, uh, hi, it's Barry here. How, how can I help you from accounts? So... We had this whole, like, we had a staff of 12, but there was only actually two, two of us. Um, so that was because we were just embarrassed to say it's me and mum sitting at a dining room table, hence the illusion of fashion has to be a lot grander. So we managed to keep our overheads really low by doing that, but we had to sort of lie a lot. I love it. I absolutely love it. I mean, you've got to do what you've got to, got to, got to do. So... You know, Jim, Jim and I and, and had a very close relationship, Jim, from the stock stock room. Actually, I think he was one of my long, longest relationships. <laughs> <laughs> and your mum, obviously, key supporter early on, got behind it, was happy to help out. What was her role from the genesis of this? Mum was amazing. Uh, she, My father passed the year after my business started and my dad said to me, you know, you got to you, you got to get mum before he passed, obviously not after, uh, said you got to give your mum a job and give her something to do and, you know, to survive this. So I said, fine. So mum had never worked a day in her life. She, she was an old school at-home mum and uh, I gave, gave her a job and it we just got so uh, bonded and she really looked after me I mean, her major job was really reception and and accounts, but reception just being pick, picking up the phone. But she, I think her major role was watching my mental health um, because I 
I got really stressed when things started getting really good uh, because I had to keep taking out borrowing more mon- money to grow the biz- business, which is very stressful thing to do and uh, she was my support and, and you know a lot of times when when she hit the fan she said to me just take the day day off I'll deal with it just you know take the dog for a walk just get out of the office and she really helped me navigate what I'm not things that I'm not great 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 at which is stress I, I'm not a great stress person I tend tend to collapse. So mum was everything to, to me. She, she worked for the first 10 years in the com- company with me and uh, she's a very proud, proud mother. I'm guessing you were a student of fashion and, you know, you no. ha- kept your eye. You didn't? You didn't care at all? The minute I finished my HSC, I never picked up a pen or studied again. I love it. I'm terrible at studying. I, I had a learning disability. I was in remedial classes my whole school life. I, why Why would I go back to that torture? Because so often, and I guess it might have changed a bit, but I'm guessing, you know, because of what the era that you went to school in, the messaging to kids who, who yeah. were like that, it wasn't very positive as to what their future might look like. Yeah. What would you say to people who've got kids who, I mean, I've, one of, you know, somebody I'm very close to who has a learning disability, they're possibly the most successful business person I know. Yeah. What would you say to people who've got kids with a learning disability or people who have a learning disability themselves? Yeah. Considering, like, you're fucking successful, unbelievably successful yeah. in, you know, in a field that we got told, no, you have to do these things at school if you want to have your kind of success. Clearly you don't because you've got it. <laughs> no, no. I look, you know, I go to schools to talk about this because I, I think it's really important. In my day, it was very different, obviously. I remember I was never, you weren't allowed to leave class until, until you could spell Australia. And I was the last kid in class every single day until the teacher finally said, you know, you got to get get out. And that that was in grade three or whatever it was, grade, grade two. Then I had to go to remedial. The only school that had remedial classes was Glamorgan in, in Turak. So I went there halfway through year three and had to learn that sort of way, way of life. Then I went to another school and they had Hebrew, which you write backwards. And because I couldn't, because I, I would go to the next class and continue writing backwards, I couldn't, my brain couldn't figure out the whole backwards and fall, forwards thing. So I had to then go to remedial classes for everything else. And I got, you know, you get, it's not a great look, remedial classes at school. Um, and I got caught up to the principal's office in year 11, I think it's called now. And I got told I should leave school before year 12 because I'm not going to pass. And uh, you know, I should go do a, a apprenticeship or whatever the case might be. Um, but I, I hate being told what I can't do, even as a young kid. So even though my parents said to me, "Look, it's your 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 call," I said, "No, I'm going to go through with Year Twelve because I want to finish it, and I want to finish it with my my friends." So I did it and I passed. So I just passed, I think, just despite the headmaster. But the minute. I finished school. I, I, everyone said, well, you know, you've got to go to university. And I was like, I'm never going to university because I just, I just really wanted to pass my year, year, year 12. So I started being, like, you know, a hand model and working at a, as, as, at a nightclub and doing all that sort of stuff. But the, the thing is when I, when I became successful, I, I always remember this one teacher called Mr. Davidson who used to let me take my exams orally because 
I couldn't write properly and I found it really hard to spell and write. So he, he would sit with me after the lesson and, and give me the test orally. He also never called me to answer questions in class because I had a terrible stutter. And his kindness and showing me that I wasn't stupid, I just didn't fit into the school system, made a huge difference on my self-belief. And without sounding crass, um, when I made my, when Peter Alexander made his first million dollars, I tracked down Mr Davidson, who I hadn't seen for 15 years, and found out he was still still alive and, you know, all that. And I um, actually, it was more than 15 years, it was like 25 years. And I went and said to, and thanked him and explained to him it was because of him that, I am a success. He's he's a real slice of the reason. And he was so happy and appreciative that I remembered him and that I, I remembered it just takes one teacher to not treat you like an idiot um, to say, you are smart, you're just not fitting into the way the schools work, 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 working. So I often tell that story at schools and to parents who don't have kids that fit into the school system. You've got to differentiate intelligence and drive and likability, which are three very important things, rather than memorising uh, mass, uh, being able to use words really nicely. They're, they're different skill sets. And in life, I think the skill sets that I had are actually more important. Have you got a teacher like that, Osh? Oh, yeah. Who oh. saw something in you that maybe other people didn't see? 100%. Dave Houston. Absolutely. I was 16. It's amazing yep. you remember their names, you remember everything mm -hmm. about them because it just takes that one teacher on a kid who has who doesn't fit in to change their, their, their life because he literally, for the first time, because all parents tell, tell you you're not stupid, but for a teacher to actually say, see, you can answer the, the test, but you just can't write it down. So, you know, it was just, it's incredible. Yeah, I have one like that and I would hazard a guess that, Anyone who has maybe gone on to achieve something in their life that they've dreamt about doing or achieved some level of success or found something, some purpose in their life, no matter what their upbringing was or their background was, had that one teacher. And the power that that can instill in a kid is just so extraordinary. So, yeah, I, I, I hope there are some kids or some teachers listening that can... can relate to that or, or understand just how deep that impact can can last yeah peter could i ask about was there anything i mean get did you did you look at what sleepwear was doing overseas were you exploring did, was there anything that you found about i don't know being from australia and having this upbringing that you think gave you an edge when it came to expand the business overseas when i first went to launch in america uh it was it must have been 1991 or something. Well, it, it started off because I, I, I approached Australian Fashion Week if I could be part of the Australian Fashion Week and they rejected me and said, no, it was all very, I don't want to say Sid, Sydney, but oh well. It was all very sort of the fashion click in Sid, Sydney and I wasn't part of that. They said, no, we don't really. It's all about Milan, Paris. You don't, you don't see London. You don't see sleep, sleepwear brands. And I said, but we're Australia. We're much more relaxed. We're much more young fashion. Um, we're not Paris or, or Milan. And that's why I think, you know, my product could sell really well overseas with all the buyers because it's so fresh and new. But they basically turned me away and said, no, you can't, we won't let you be 
in in the in in you know the fashion week. Now to go in the fashion week, you had to pay I think it was eight thousand dollars to be for all the parades and press and help get the buyers out from overseas. So because I was rejected, what I did was again I hate being told no. So I thought, how can I reach those international buyers without going? to Fashion Week. So I found out they have these trade shows in Las Vegas where uh, all the buyers come to the trade shows and people try flog their stuff. So I figured the plane fare was was at that stage about, you know, $1,000 to fly, fly to Las Vegas. For half the price, I can go and try, try my luck over there. So I flew over there being, you know, very young and naive. I set, set up a little, little three, three by three foot you know, stall, and I just had a big sign saying, have, have you ever slept with an Australian? And then I just put some racks of pyjamas there. And it was a three-day event, and after the three three days, I, I managed to get into about 187 stores, uh, so, which was a lot better success rate than Australian Fashion Week had back then. So um, I did ring up the, the people from Australian Fashion Week and say, huge mistake huge mistake you could have had a success story to write about so um yeah and i haven't been in a in a sydney fashion week (laughs) feels like there's lots of moments in this story where that sort of youthful naivety kind of pays off like i'm not scared of what I'm going to attempt because I don't realise how audacious or insane or ridiculous it is. You can never do this as an older person with a business plan. you just got to have the balls just to say, I don't know any better, I'm just going for it, you know. It's sometimes all that you can over plan your life. You sometimes got to go and just take, take, take a chance. The worst that, that would have ha- happened is I lost four, four, four grand, you know. Uh, but, you know, I just tried. Again, I, I, the, the motto to my story is I hate being told, told no. When was the moment during building the empire, and there must have been lots of progressive ones, but when was the first moment you were like, holy shit, this has gotten way bigger than I ever imagined? Oh, God. I've had a lot of mo- mo- moments like that. Um, I suppose when I did the 60 Minutes, six, 60 Minutes did a story on me and mum, and, again, to hear the name Peter Alexander with like I had no idea that that would ever happen to me. So to do that, I really had to pinch myself to think, wow, you know, I didn't have to be a serial killer to land up on 60 Minutes. That was definitely a pinch me moment. Wow. I had another pinch pinch me moment like two weeks ago where I couldn't believe it. I was talking to our accountant at work and I was like, oh, you know, COVID's been really actually good for my business because people are at home shopping online and things. And I said, what sales are we doing this year? And she said, oh, about $330 million. And I was like, what? And she was like, I said, you are kidding me. And she like, that sort of stuff seems so far in the sky to me that it is just ridiculous. That so I still get shocked all the time. I still get shocked if people recognise me and or ask for my autograph. I, I sort of I get a shock. I don't know what they want. Like when people come up to me at an air, airport, I think they like I've done something wrong. And <laughs> they, like it's it's I just don't get it. Sometimes I don't live in that world really. I've got the same friends I've had for the last 
literally 40, 50 years. I don't do the whole celebrity fashion Alex Perry vibe, which he has to do for work, so I'm not criticising it at all, but I don't live in that sort of world. So I always get a shock when that sort of celebrity stuff happens. You've done a, I've worn a lot of your pyjamas that over the years and some of them have fantastic licensing uh, imagery on them. I, I had a pair of Star Trek pyjamas that I, original Star Trek pyjamas that I wore until they absolutely fell apart. Would you ever consider, I don't know, doing a collaboration with, shall we say, two cornerstones of Australian pop culture, two men that a, a large part of the community grew up with? If I knew who you were talking about, you know, I, I might be able to figure that out. I mean, are, are they both handsome? Oh, well, uh, it depends on how you light them, really. <laughs> <laughs> it's all got to do with the lighting. In, like, a weird way? Just in case you ever wanted to do a, you know, a sleepwear collaboration with me and Jim, yeah. uh, you know, we're always available. We're always here. Right. <laughs> uh, in, any of you fathers? Yeah, both fathers, yeah. I think we're f- f- right, well, yeah, you know, I've got Father's Day coming up shoot soon. Who, who knows? Jim and I have been doing this for a while now. We've interviewed a lot of people there's really no one in, that has ever impressed my family that I told them I was talking to, except for you. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I'm getting used to my grandmother loves you. And I'm like, oh, God, I've been in this business too long. <laughs> Could you just, before we go, talk about young people who are out there who've got a crazy idea that they kind of believe in, but they don't know what they're doing? What would your shout-out to them be? My shout-out to them is go for it but have a plan B. I always had a plan B. So uh, I'm not talking about even a different career. I'm talking about uh, when I started mass-producing pyjamas, I didn't want to take the risk of what happens if I couldn't sell, sell them. So I'd already gone to a place called Supply and Demand and said, how much will you give, give me for those pyjamas if I can't sell, sell them? And I found out it would cover my costs just if, if I sold them to him. So I always had that plan B. So when I went out there mass producing pyjamas, if I couldn't sell them, I knew I could recoup my costs by, by, by my plan B. So therefore I could sleep at night. So if someone has a dream, I'd say go, go, go for it or, or a crazy idea, go for it. But have a plan B on how you'll survive financially if it does all crumb crumble. So you can just rest a little bit assured and uh, it also gives you strength to go that extra push because you know what your safety nets are because I didn't have like massive financial safety nets at the beginning. So I really needed to have that because as, as I told you before, stress is not my lover. Those are incredibly wise words. I wish I had wish I'd heard them 25 years ago. This is not my lover. We should make a song about that. Oh. You're an absolute superstar. Peter Alexander, thank you so much for staying up late to talk to, um, talk to thank us. Thank you for breaking my podcast virginity. We'll promise to call you. <laughs> Amazing. He loves to, obviously, he loves to have a laugh and he loves to, but that's wisdom that you can't, buy you know that stuff that you're never going to learn at business school some of the things that he told us were like oh my god like i feel so empowered i want to go and start a clothing brand or something i'm launching <laughs> some umbrellas what are you thinking is going to be Soon. a good brand name for those umbrellas jimmy um thunder sticks thunder sticks yeah <laughs> what a legend what a great story what a great tale and you know what uh you're right I spoke to a few people 
telling them that we were going to chat to Peter Alexander and all of them went, the Peter Alexander, like the pyjama guy. There was such a level of excitement. I think we've really um, tapped into something here that, you know, people don't realise how how huge his impact has been in so many ways. I remember going to a conference once and they, they were talking about the power of branding, right? And they showed the view from a shopping mall of storefronts and they just kind of blacked out the name of the store and said, can you guess what it is? And so there was looked at the, like the opening, you know, floor of a department store. I was like, what is it? It could have been Maya, it could have been David Jones. It looked exactly the same, right? And what about this? It could have been Coles, it could be a Woolies, exactly the same. What about this? Could have been a surf diving ski, could have been General Pants, exactly the same. What about this? Well, that's Peter Alexander still. His branding, his visual branding is so incredible. And I wonder, though, Jim, I wonder, we didn't get a chance to talk to him about it, but I wonder if that's because, and I, I, this person I mentioned who um, has a learning disability, they talk to me about it. They say, look, my brain sees the world differently, and therefore I I look at problems differently and I come up with solutions that people who have, I guess, what aren't so neurodiverse as me, they, they come up with regular, really kind of standard solutions to problems, but I have to look elsewhere and my brain just goes, why don't we do this instead? And it's amazing the amount of like incredibly successful people who are dyslexic because of that, because their brain just has to find different solutions and different patterns inside the normalcy. It's amazing. Mm. Yeah, well, I know for a fact that patterns and textures and colours are such a huge part of what occupies his brain space all the time, you know. And and yeah, you can see in the product. I can't believe we do the show about pajamas, but I'm glad we did. What a great Australian. You're gonna uh, tuck in tonight into your Peter Alexander. Yes. What do you got? Did you really have Star Trek Peter Alexander? Absolutely. Uh, they were given to me for Christmas, and I wore them until they s- just fell to bits. What sort of age bracket are we talking here? Uh, forty-one to forty-six. But I wore those pajamas to the point where, how can I put this? My dignity was no longer maintained. The holes that became in them uh, were just so vast that I was no longer able to be around. Um, my wife and kids. Follow your dreams, kids. Follow your dreams. Have a backup plan. Yeah. Whether it's hand modelling. Hand modelling. Whether it's... <laughs> he slipped that in, didn't he? Yeah. Hand modelling. Whether it's storm sticks. <laughs> Just have a plan and then have another plan. And probably, yeah, have a third or fourth plan as well. Yeah, don't be afraid to go back and, uh, and let let your old school teachers know that they might have got it wrong or got it right. Don't be afraid to get out the genome at your mum's kitchen table and whip out a pattern. <laughs> Don't be afraid of anything except a jellyfish. Yeah, irukandji. They can kill you. Irukandji, very bad, mm. very bad for you. Are you uh, going to sleep naked tonight or are you going to wear uh, underpants? Nah, I, I'm going to wear undies, Yeah. My my kids are getting a bit older, and then when they climb into bed in the morning, and I'm in my, my and I'm not wearing anything, it's like, Dad, we've overshared, people. We've shared too much. Thanks for joining us. You can always find us on Instagram at Idle Australians. Which one of us has the keys to the Instagram? Do you have it? I've, I think I've lost them. No, I don't know how to do any of that. So okay, because I think you went and got. Uh, we might have to start. Oh yeah, I think you went and got it. Well, bit excited. Don't follow us on Instagram because we don't know what the, what the password is. Uh, but you can always email us, idleaustralians at gmail.com. Uh, we always do love to hear from you. 
keep us up to date with your particular sleepwear choices and news of Ibis. Um, thanks very much to Bree Steele, our exceptional producer, Daryl Misson, produced this episode. James Matheson has a scarf that he's wearing tonight, and you may not have heard it, but at dramatic moments through the conversation, particularly in pauses and questions, he would swish it over his shoulder, swish it over his shoulder to make a point in dramatic fashion, and it was fantastic. All right. We'll see you next week, Australia. 